0: Good morning. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the award-winning Rainbow Radio, the real Gay Agenda, the only gay-themed program of its kind in the Carolinas. This is a weekly program for gay and straight people by gay and straight people, and is presented by the Harriet Hancock Community Center. I'm your weekly host, Bruce Converse. My co-host this morning is also our engineer for these shows, Adrian Zangrone.
1: Good morning, Adrian. Good morning, Bruce. This morning, our show is being made possible by listeners like you. Those of you out there who have been helping to keep this show on the air with your generous donations and shows of support. Stay with us. In just a few moments, we will be talking to one of the co-authors of a new book released back in June of this year that explores anti-gay bullying in American schools. So stay tuned here to Rainbow Radio.
2: This is RuPaul on Rainbow Radio.
1: Welcome back to Rainbow Radio. This morning, we will take another look at anti-gay bullying in this country by talking to one of the co-authors, Dr. Sean Cahill, on a new book on that subject, LGBT Youth in America's Schools. Sean is Director of Health Policy Research at the Fenway Institute, and he's also an Adjunct Assistant Professor of Public Administration at New York University's Robert Wagner School of Public Service. He's also a member of the Massachusetts Commission on LGBT Youth.
0: As we said before, Sean has co-authored LGBT Youth in American Schools, published by the University of Michigan Press, as well as two other books on LGBT family policy. He's also held leadership positions at Gay Men's Health Crisis and the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force Policy Institute. Sean has also advocated for the Massachusetts Gay Student Rights Law in 1993, and he served as chair of the Lesbian and Gay Political Alliance of Massachusetts in the mid-1990s. So good morning, Sean, and welcome to Rainbow Radio.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, With your co-author, how did you two get interested in this subject enough to write this book, and when did that writing the book enter your lives?
2: Sure. um well, I started working on these issues about twenty years ago uh, here in Massachusetts. Um, we passed uh, a student non-discrimination act that that explicitly covered sexual orientation in 1993, and I was involved in that. Um, and Jason, well, actually, we started working on this project about ten years ago um, at the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force Policy Institute. Um, we convened a, a meeting of researchers who had done research on LGBT youth and their experiences in schools, and we were really trying to figure out what were some of the gaps in our knowledge about this population, about policy interventions and school-based programs that could support youth um, and reduce bullying and and social isolation that can result from bullying. Um, and um, and then we produced a report out of the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force in two thousand three. Um, and Jason Cianciotto was the co-author of that report. And, um, and then we approached, we sort of shopped this around to university presses and found a press that was interested in our turning that into a book, and so we've been kind of updating it ever since, and we finally published it um, earlier this year with the University of Michigan Press.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about how the book exactly approaches the subject, what data you looked at, and the narratives that are included?
2: Absolutely. So um, the, the general frame that we take is that um, the society has changed a lot. Um, young people are coming out at younger ages now than they were in the 1970s and 80s. Back then, the average age of coming out was er, in the early 20s. And now the average uh, gay, lesbian, or bisexual youth is coming out at about age 15. And there's a lot more cultural cultural visibility of lgbt people as well on television there's just more openly gay people in america compared to twenty thirty years ago and then we have a lot of technological changes we've got social media um, texting and this can break down social isolation so that you don't feel like you're the only one who's gay uh, like maybe a few decades ago when you might not know about other gay people or or, or community resources but the the social media can also offer new venues for bullying. So Mm -hmm. there's been these social and cultural changes and technological changes, but in general, policymakers and school administrators have not kept up with these changes, and this can leave young people vulnerable and exposed. Um, So what we tried to do in this book is um, we know that there's a growing body of research literature documenting the experiences of LGBT youth, but often it's published in obscure academic journals that most, that very few people read, and it's not made accessible to a broad spectrum of, you know, parents and youth themselves, policymakers, teachers, and and school administrators, and advocates and public health professionals. And so we try to, you know, take that academic research and and describe it in a more accessible way, and then link it up to policy interventions that we could support that could reduce some of the. Uh, some of the bullying and some of the disparities that we're seeing in this population.
0: As you've been doing your research and examining other research that's been done, at what levels are you seeing the most anti-gay bullying being done? Elementary school, middle or high school, or junior high school, or high school? Where is it appearing the most now?
2: Um, I mean, what what we found, which was kind of shocking, was that it really does... Um, that that it can start in elementary school. Often it takes the form of uh, just comments, you know, anti-gay um, insults. Often I think that the kids don't really know what gay means. Then it's just they just know that it's something bad, um, and uh, or they you know they believe it's something bad. But we actually found some some examples of kids who are um, hit by other kids, beat up by other kids, and in the process told that they were being beat up because they were a faggot or they were gay. Um, it seems like there's probably more that that, that there's uh more frequent bullying and harassment in middle school and high school and um, and that can take the form of homophobic remarks but also quite often uh physical violence um, and uh, and so we we in addition to presenting a lot of data we also try to provide some profiles of young people who, some of whom experienced this kind of harassment and violence, but also many of whom actually challenged it and tried to make their schools better places. so we talk about Jamie and who who is a a kid from Ashland, Wisconsin who was harassed starting in middle school uh, basically um, the principal at the middle school principal 's attitude was "Boys will be boys that Jamie, by being openly gay, sort of brought this on himself and in eleventh grade, Jamie went uh switched to a to a different uh town and went went to a went into high school and he was beaten one day very badly by eight other students who kicked him in the stomach um, and later he collapsed and had internal bleeding. And so um, he sued um, both of both his high school and his middle school. And Jamie was the first student uh where a court uh ruled that the schools had denied his equal right to access educational opportunity and so he there's a very important uh court case um involving Jamie Debosny that was decided in 1996 by a federal court that awarded him almost a million dollars in damages um, for, and, and, forced the school, the middle school and the high school that he attended to pay that because they failed to protect his right to access education. Yeah. Um, we profile a bunch of other students like Thomas McLaughlin from Arkansas who at age 13 was outed to his parents by his guidance counselor, uh, and was forced by an assistant principal to read aloud from the Bible, uh, passages that, uh, condemn homosexuality. Um, so, you know, but, but, like many other students Thomas you know challenged this behavior and actually his parents were very supportive of him and and helped him to challenge the uh, the school authorities and, and point out that their behavior was not was not acceptable
1: now there is of course there's physical bullying there's now there's cyberbullying there's like social isolation there's all these different types of types of bullying what types show up more at different academic levels
2: Yeah, you know, it's a really good question, and I think that's an area where we need more research. I I really don't know the answer. I think that um, we found fewer examples of this kind of behavior in elementary school than we did in middle and high school. Um, But bullying is really an epidemic across the board. It's not just anti-gay bullying. It's bullying because of, you know, any kind of characteristic, you know. Kids get bullied because they have a food allergy, because they're overweight, because they have an accent, because they're from a different country, and because of race and religion and and sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, and so, it's a real problem. And um, what we advocate in the book is that all school staff need to be uh, trained in how to identify bullying and how to intervene on the spot to stop it. And that should be not just teachers and, you know principals and guidance counselors, but also school bus drivers, uh people who work in the in the lunchroom, uh coaches, because kids are getting bullied in many different venues, not just in the hallway or in a classroom. Mm. Um and the and the administration's been very supportive. They've they've actually trained like a hundred thousand school bus drivers in the last couple of years in um to to reduce bullying on school buses. Of mm. uh, bullying of all kinds, including anti gay bullying. Yeah.
0: Back in 2007, the National School Climate Survey of a little over 6,200 LGBT students conducted by the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, or GLSEN, found that because of their sexual orientation, 86% were verbally harassed at their school, and nearly 50% have been physically harassed, and 61% felt unsafe at their school. Are these percentages dropping at all?
2: Um, you know, I checked, and there's the most recent data from the Gay Lesbian Straight Education Network are from 2009, and um, they actually did an analysis going back to the late 90s, and they found that there was a uh, steady decline in homophobic remarks, but basically that violence and other severe forms of bullying um, that go beyond just uh, an anti-gay um, uh, insult uh, are basically flat—that they're not that, that the reported rate of those kinds of Bullying and harassment is not declining, um, and um, so and, and 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 the rates are really high. So, like you said, eighty-six uh, percent were verbally harassed at their school. Fifty percent have been physically harassed. Often, the harassment takes the form of sexual harassment, um, which is actually illegal under Title nine of the uh, Education Amendments of 1972. So, so um. Anti-gay and anti-transgender uh, harassment that takes the form of sexual harassment is actually outlawed by federal statute. Um, but bullying is definitely still widespread in U.S. schools, um, and one of the most disturbing things that we see in the data is it's not just students who are doing the bullying. Sometimes it's even teachers. So, um, the Glisten survey from two thousand seven of, of several thousand, I think six thousand uh, LGBT students from around the country, found that three quarters. Uh, had heard anti-gay insults from other students, but one quarter of the students um, polled reported that they heard anti-gay insults from teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that's just more evidence that we really mm-hmm. need to um, train teachers and set the, you know set a tone from the top, from the principal and superintendent's office that this kind of behavior is 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 not acceptable. And in fact, we want teachers to be supportive um, of young people not not engaging in harassment against them
0: this morning we're talking about anti-gay bullying in schools a subject we've talked about a couple of times here on rainbow radio and we're talking to sean cahill who is a co-author of the new book on bullying lgbt youth in america's schools so stay with us we'll continue our conversation with sean in just a moment here on rainbow radio Rainbow Radio is on the air because of listeners like you. Listeners from all over the country and the world as well. If you would like to join all of those listeners like you, it's quick and easy to do. Send your checks made out to SCGLPM to Rainbow Radio, Post Office Box 12648, Columbia, South Carolina 29211. And in the memo section of your check, write Rainbow Radio. Send whatever you can. Sponsoring a whole show costs just $200 so get a bunch of your friends together. We'd love to have you as a sponsor. Support Rainbow Radio by continuing to listen to the Programs and donating to help keep this show on the air. Tell all of your friends to do so too. Remember, all of our shows are on our website, RainbowRadioSC.com. Thanks again from all of us here at Rainbow Radio for the support of listeners like you. Welcome back to Rainbow Radio. This morning we're talking to Sean Cahill. He is the co-author of the uh, new book on anti-gay bullying, LGBT youth in America's schools. And when we left, we were talking about how things are going in terms of the schools, and they're probably it seems a little bleak in some cases but we know all about the it gets better and similar campaigns to try to get kids to know that it can improve as they get older but what can be done today to make it better for self-identified LGBT youth in America's classrooms what are some of the more practical uh, common-sense solutions that will help the schools become safe and affirming institutions for all students uh, that you talk about in your book You talked about some Uh, Staff training. Is there any practical stuff that should be going on?
2: Absolutely. Um, Also, uh, supporting uh, staff and teachers. uh, And, you know, so basically things like um, non-discrimination language and teaching contracts can support um, teachers and other staff. Um, to be supportive, um, you know, often uh, most teachers are heterosexual, and but there can be a fear that if you, you know, support youth who are gay or somehow express an interest in the issue, that somehow you're gay. So, having a non-discrimination provision in a teacher union contract can support all teachers who want to just be supportive of LGBT youth, um, but it can also allow a gay teacher to be openly gay, and that has been shown to be a resiliency factor for young people. Having an openly gay teacher or guidance counselor, or a family member like an aunt or an uncle, is a resiliency factor for uh, gay, lesbian, and bisexual youth. So, so that's something that we that we talk about in the book and we encourage. Um, also, uh, encouraging gay-straight alliances in schools, um, sco- places that can be safe spaces for kids who are gay or um, or bisexual or questioning, and for their straight allies. Um, those are very important. Um, uh, so those are some of the school-based programs and practices, along with staff development and training for all staff. And like I said earlier, training in how to identify and intervene and stop when 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 you witness bullying. Um, but there's also uh, laws and policies that can be um, adopted as well. So. Um, we have now have 16 states that have laws that prohibit discrimination in education uh against students on the basis of real or perceived sexual orientation or gender identity um and that represents almost 40% of the US population um, and if you can't get a law like that through your state legislature um Often, quite often, um, cities and towns um, can issue regulations um, that outlaw discrimination. So you can have a law, you can have a regulation, you can have language in a teachers union contract, and that can support um, LGBT youth either directly
1: or indirectly. Going along with that, um, make it better line of thought. What are some of the things that we can do that, if we aren't necessarily, you know, working inside the schools, t- to make those schools safer? If
2: yeah, well, I mean, if you have children, I would say get involved with, you know, with your PTO and, and get involved with your school committee. Um, even if you don't have children, talk to your elected officials, you know, and, and tell them that you vote and that you care about equal rights uh, for gay people, for gay students. And um, and you want to ensure that they're being supported and basically being allowed to focus on their studies and their social development, not having to deal with bullying and discrimination, social isolation, mm-hmm. and all the health and uh, health and risk behaviors that often accompany that kind of experience. Um, You can raise awareness with your elected and appointed government officials. And so one thing I checked into before we we did this interview was another thing you can do is encourage the gathering of data. So here in Massachusetts, where I am, we um, do a a survey of youth every couple of years called the Youth Risk Behavior Survey. Actually, all 50 states do that survey. It's funded by the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta. Um, but only about a half a dozen states ask questions about sexual orientation or sexual behavior, and Massachusetts is one of those states. Uh, South Carolina is not one of those states. Um, so we're able to say here in Massachusetts that uh, that we know that you know um, kids who are. Uh, Lesbian, gay, and bisexual in 2011 in Massachusetts schools mm-hmm. were twice as likely to skip school because they felt unsafe, yeah. and were three times as likely to be threatened or injured with a weapon at school, yeah. and they're they're twice as likely to be bullied as as heterosexual students. Um, and we also know how to how to address those problems by some of the things that I mentioned uh, previously: school-based programs and yeah. practices, and and laws and regulations. Um, but but you guys don't know down in South Carolina exactly what's going on with young people in your schools, and the way to do that is to get a question added to your youth risk behavior survey so the CDC has a question that's been cognitively tested um, that we know works that we know young people can understand and it's relatively easy to add it to the um, to the youth risk behavior survey. It just needs to be done by your state Department of Health and I can imagine that it might be politically um, that there might be some people who object to it, so there would need to be sort of, um, you know, a campaign built uh, in support of it to make it happen. But that is a really critical thing because with, um, you know, gay rights issues in general, um, we often have this chicken and egg thing where we don't know what the particular experiences of a population are. Therefore, we, don't, we can't make the case for needed policy changes um, that, can, that can support them. This is also true mm-hmm. of older people who are LGBT when we don't gather data mm-hmm. on that population.
0: How does anti-gay bullying, prejudice, and social isolation affect LGBT youth and children of lesbian and gay parents? Uh, What are the effects on risk behavior, health, school performance?
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, the effects are pretty negative. Um, uh, We see increased uh, rates of of health risk behavior, um, uh, having unprotected sex, having uh, uh, more than one uh, sexual partner, Um, and um, uh, also substance use um, and we also see um, poor school performance so these are sort of the correlates or the consequences of being bullied, being socially isolated um, having uh, what's called minority stress because you're worried about people finding out that you're gay and you're trying to keep it secret Um, but we also know that some of the things that I talked about earlier, like gay-straight alliances, those can be resiliency factors. So having a gay-straight alliance in one school um, actually has a supportive effect for gay youth and can, and can cause rates of uh, health risk behavior and um, school performance issues to decline. Fine. Um, also, having uh, supportive parents is a resiliency factor. Family acceptance uh, has been shown to very strongly correlate with better health outcomes. So, for example, um, Caitlin Ryan uh, published an article in Pediatrics in 2009 that showed that um, kids who are gay, lesbian, or bisexual but who are accepted by their parents um, are three and a half times less likely to engage in um, uh, unprotected sex. Which is a key risk factor for HIV and other sexually transmitted infections. So, um, so parental acceptance, parental support, even if you you know, even if your kid, even if you you don't know if your kid is gay, even just letting them know that you would support them either way, um, can be a very strong supportive resiliency factor and can counter some of these negative effects of uh, bullying and social isolation.
1: How do demographic factors like race, or religion, uh, factor into these uh, rates of LGBT bullying?
2: Um, You know, the the research is a little bit, uh, it's somewhat mixed, but in here in Massachusetts, for example, we know that um, racial minority youth who are lesbian, gay, or bisexual are at higher risk for a number of conditions related to bullying. Um, These include skipping school due to feeling unsafe, suicide attempts, um and having had four or more sexual partners in their lifetime, um, and then within the category of racial minority youth, we see some, some um, sort of finer differences. We see that Asian uh, LGBT youth are twice as likely to. Um, uh, skip school due to feeling unsafe as black youth and three times as likely as white non-hispanic mm-hmm. youth to skip school. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a number of studies nationally that show that black and Latino LGB youth may be more likely to attempt suicide than white non-Hispanic youth. Um, but there's other research that indicates that actually being the member of a racial minority group could give you... Um, kind of resiliency that can actually help you as a gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender youth because you're used to experiencing prejudice, you're used to hearing things said about you or your group, and that, that, some, that somehow you're better prepared than white gay youth are for the kinds of um, challenges that, that young gay people often experience mm-hmm. um, in adolescence from, from, from their heterosexual peers. So so like I said, the, the research is somewhat mixed, but um, we definitely need to know more about mm-hmm. the experiences of uh youth of color, but also um, immigrant youth, kids from immigrant um, communities, and understand to what extent are their racial ethnic communities and immigrant communities um resiliency factors as well as places where um, they might experience uh social rejection. Um, and in terms of religion, um, I was just gonna mention that often I, I'm I serve on the mass commission for LGBT youth and we held hearings um back in the spring in a couple of places in Massachusetts and a number of young people talked about how their their mothers or fathers rejected them and that they were very conservative Christian parents. And so what we observed is that, and certainly, you know, a lot of us have experienced this personally. That often parental rejection mm-hmm. is expressed through religious belief, and it's it's sort of driven by one's religious belief. Um, and so, I think that means that it's important that we engage with faith communities. Um, and I was raised Roman Catholic, and you know, my certainly a lot of the leaders in my church have been very outspoken against um, equal rights for gay people. Um, but there's many people within the Catholic Church, many practicing Catholics who are very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not—I I think it's important not to write off conservative religious traditions, because I think there's a lot of people in those traditions who um, can be reached and who can be supportive of a gay son, a lesbian daughter, um, and and so we, we have to we have to try to engage them.
0: Okay, uh, you're talking about demographics and all. Has uh, bullying in schools become a political football now, especially with this being a political season? And if so, is there anything we can do to keep that from happening?
2: Um, Well, certainly we don't want to see it become a political football. The great thing about the experience we've had here is that um, there has been traditionally bipartisan support for uh, gay youth. So the commission that I serve on was actually created by our Republican governor, Bill Weld, in 1992, uh and then it was supported very much by him and by his predecessor, by his successor, um, Paul Salucci, who was also a Republican governor. Um, uh you know, but then um, well, but by the time we got to Mitt Romney as governor, um, there was a lot of uh there was a decline in support for the Commission and the work that we're that we're doing on LGBT youth. So um, the Safe Schools program here in Massachusetts, um, the funding was cut severely um, under uh, Governor Romney, and he basically tried to abolish the commission on LGBT youth because he objected to our um, to, to the fact that we acknowledge bisexual and transgender youth, and that there are youth who identify that way. Um, and he had a problem with that. So, um, so he certainly has not been as supportive. Uh, he has a record of not being supportive, um, and in general, on gay rights issues, he is now pretty firmly opposed. Um, that's very different from when he ran against Senator Kennedy uh, 18 years ago, but that's the way he is now. Um, President Obama, by contrast, has really, you know, been incredibly supportive of LGBT equality, whether it's the military ban. Marriage equality, and even though those aren't youth issues, I really do think that they affect the way young people think about themselves and their place in society. But specifically on 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 youth issues, um, the Department of Education under President Obama has funded a lot of anti-bullying work. Like I mentioned, the training of bus drivers uh, in how to intervene in bullying on school buses, but also training of teachers. And there's been some work done between Department of Education and the Center for Disease Controls. Uh, looking at bullying as a, as, a, as, a, um, as a phenomenon that has public health consequences, which I think is a really great approach, because I do believe that anti-gay bullying, anti-gay prejudice is a public health problem, and we have to address it as such.
1: Before we let you go, can you let our listeners know what website they can go to to learn more about uh, the book and your work?
2: Yeah, thank you, Um, and I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about the book. Um, We have a website called lgbtyouthinschools.com, lgbtyouthinschools.com. And if you go to that website, you can get information about the book. Um, The book is called LGBT Youth in America Schools, Uh, and you can buy it on Amazon. Um, You can get it directly from the University of Michigan Press website. But if you go to that website, lgbtyouthinschools, you can get all the information.
0: All right, Sean Cahill, co-author of the new book on bullying LGBT youth in America's schools. Thanks so much for being our guest this morning here on Rainbow Radio. As usual, we have learned a lot. Thank you, Sean.
2: Thank you, Bruce.
0: Thanks for joining us this morning on Rainbow Radio, the real gay agenda. And thanks goes to listeners like you, those of you out there who've been helping to keep this show on the air with your generous donations and shows of support for bringing you today's show. And I would also like to thank my co-host this morning, who has again been our
1: engineer for these shows, Adrian Zondroen. Thanks, Adrian. Rainbow Radio would love to hear from you. Please contact us with any show ideas to share a commentary, suggest a guest, or let us know what you think about our program. You can do all of this by either sending us an email to scrainbowradio at gmail.com or write to us at 1108 Woodrow Street, Columbia, South Carolina, 29205. You can also call and leave a message for us at the Harriet Hancock Community Center. The number is 803-771-7713.
0: You can listen to some of our most recent shows at the website soundcloud.com rainbow radio. And if you or any of your friends want to sponsor a show, we can tell you how to go about doing that.
1: Again, that email address is scrainbowradio@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash radio. There you can read current news and stream new episodes, and you'll be the first to know about all the latest show updates. Or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash This show will continue as long as we have your support.
0: And I know it's hard to believe, but Rainbow Radio, the real gay agenda, is now into its ninth year being on the air here in South Carolina. So please continue listening, because in the coming weeks, we'll be telling you some big news about our show, its future, its format, and its sound. So listen next week when we'll have another great show. And in the meantime, have a terrific and a safe week.